and welcome to today's edition of Worcester Talking News. Brought to you by Worcester News and Equipment for the Blind, with permission of the Worcester News, and recorded on Thursday, August the 3rd, 2023, here at Colin Chance House. I'm Evelyn Brock, editor for this edition, and with me are Moira Lowe, Penny Welford and Richard Pugh. Our recording engineer tonight is John Plush, and we are, as usual, ably supported by the admin team, led by Carol Hartle. So, first of all, I'd like to take this opportunity to thank all of my colleagues here at Worcester Talking News for keeping the team's work going in the last five or six months when I was seeing two family matters and I was unable to be here. I do feel that Worcester Talking News and you, our listeners, were in such good hands. A warm welcome to all our listeners, especially new ones. I do hope you enjoy this week's offering. In addition to news items, you'll hear some useful telephone numbers, readers publish letters, birthdays and thought for the week. Nowadays, obituaries are placed following the closing music, so if you wish to hear those, please stay tuned then. Don't forget that recordings are usually available as podcasts. But at present, talking books are not available on memory sticks, but rather on CDs and tapes. Also, do let us know your birthdays so we can greet you specially when the time comes. This service is free to users, but if you would like to make a voluntary donation, it can be sent to Colin Chance House, Wilds Lane, Worcester WR51DA. We do like hearing from you, and a message can be left on our answer phone. Worcester, that's 01905 or add a note to your wallet. If there's a problem with any aspect of your receiving recordings, please use that answer phone facility on the number I've just given and leave a message to that effect. So now off we go with this evening's offering. And we'll start with Thought for the Week by Penny. The thought for this week is from John 1, verses 5 to 7. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Thank you, Penny. Now, Moira, do we have any birthdays this month? We do, just the one for Eva Shepherd on the 8th of August. So happy birthday for the 8th, Eva. And now those useful telephone numbers. Well, I've given you the telephone number for Colin Chance House already. The police non-emergency is 101 and NHS Direct 111. Crime Stoppers. 
zero eight double zero triple five triple one. Worcester Hub for all council matters. Worcester seven six five seven six five. Worcester here to help. Worcester seven six eight zero five three and request option three. Community risk. That's a team for fire safety. Zero eight treble zero three two one one double five. Domestic abuse. Zero eight double zero nine eight zero three 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 one. Samaritans. One one six one two three. 113, I do beg your pardon, and that's a free phone number. Worcester Theatres, Worcester 611427. Malvern Theatre, 01684 892277. And the National Grid, which runs a priority service register for people who really do need some help quite often if there is a power cut. 0800-0328-302. Well, now we'll start with the headline articles. Penny. The headline article for Friday, July the 8th, in bold type, is G-Tech Jobs Face the Axe. And there's a photograph of Nick Gray, the founder of G-Tech. Jobs at risk at City Firm. Jobs are at risk at one of the city's most prominent businesses, with the founder blaming customers moving online. G-Tech founder Nick Gray said staff have been offered the opportunity to take voluntary redundancy as it looks to reduce numbers. It is not known how many jobs will be lost. GTech is looking to reduce its customer service team at GTech's Brindley Road, Warnden Villages, the headquarters. Mr Gray called it the worst aspect of running a business. He said, yes, it is true that GTech has announced a restructure of our customer service team this week. I am tremendously proud of the excellent service that our advisors give. They are second to none. So having to offer voluntary redundancy and reduce staff numbers is the worst aspect of running a business. We will do what we can to keep everyone informed and understand that however upsetting it might be for me, it is certainly worse for those facing uncertainty over their jobs. Mr Gray said a fall in calls is what sparked the need to reduce the team as customers take their business online. He said, we took on 16 additional customer service advisors in the spring, but have seen call volumes fall dramatically this year. It seems that more and more customers prefer to order online than using the telephone. Earlier this week, the company's founder warned, that, warned about competition from other countries. He said the company is now pursuing an aggressive growth plan in response to the rapid rise of overseas competitors, particularly in China. GTEC is looking to win a higher proportion of the floor care market through its new strategy. 
The company has already grown, and earlier this year the firm invested £6 million in its own warehouse in Corby. The firm was launched by Nick Gray in 2001 with products such as the award-winning Air Ram vacuum. GTEC has sold 20 million of its cordless power sweepers, expanded into garden power tools, and Mr Gray featured twice on the Sunday Times Rich List with 120 million in the bank. It reportedly employs 160 people. A recent television advert from GTEC showed staff singing alongside Nick Gray, whilst showcasing its range of floor care and garden equipment including the latest Air Ram Platinum. Okay, so my headline is from the weekend. A collapsed wall reveals secret tunnel. A collapsed wall which closed a city road has revealed a secret tunnel hidden from sight for decades. The entrance to what is believed to be an ice house was uncovered after the wall fell in Lansdowne Crescent. Police cordoned off the road between Lansdowne Road and Rainbow Hill on Thursday night and it remained closed throughout Friday as bricks and a fallen street light covered the road. The entrance behind the wall is a brick alcove with a path that leads downwards towards a large deep hole. Worcestershire County Council Highways and travel workers clearing the road believe the clearing could be an ice house. Ice houses were buildings used typically for storing ice situated partly or wholly underground before refrigerators were invented. The ice was used to store food and it is thought that the ice house on Lansdowne Road may have stored anchovies for Lee and Perrins. However, this has not been confirmed. Paul Harding, local historian with Discover History, also guessed that the structure was an ice house. He said, I noticed the clearing and was intrigued. It's a well-made structure made from brick. It's from the Victorian era or later by the look of it. It looks like the entrance to an ice house. As it fell, the wall crushed a street light and badly damaged road signs. No one was injured and no damage was caused to any parked vehicles. A tree that was damaged during the collapse was set to have a safety inspection. Drivers were urged to use an alternative route and the clear-up of the road is ongoing. John Fraser, Worcestershire Highways manager, said, We are clearing the rubble today from where the wall had fallen down. The streetlight is still connected and still live, so the power company is here to disconnect it and make it safe. By the end of the day, this should all be safe and cleared. We will get some barriers in to make sure the opening is safe and ensure nothing else is at risk of collapse. After that, we should be able to get the road back open. The homeowner was not available when a Worcester News reporter visited on Friday. Before I read, may I just add that it's lovely to have you back on board, Evelyn. Thank you. Welcome back. Thank you. Monday, the July the 31st, saw the headline, Doctor's Surgeries, How You Rate Them. The best and worst GP surgeries have been ranked according to an annual patient satisfaction survey in the Worcester postcode area. The GP patient survey 2023 has revealed our best and worst doctor surgeries according to residents who rely on their services. The independent survey is run by Ipsos on behalf of NHS England, sent out to over 2 million people across the UK and is designed to reflect how people feel about their GP practice and their level of satisfaction about the experience. 
The top-ranked surgery in our area for overall satisfaction is Cradley Surgery in Cradley near Morven, with with an overall satisfaction rating of 97.84%. The lowest ranked is St John's House in Bromyard Road, with a satisfaction rating of 61.57%. In the 2023 survey, 71.3% of patients reported a good overall experience of their GP practice, lower than in 2022 which was 72.4%. This followed a larger decrease between 2021 and 2022. Overall, many GPs recorded higher than average 71.3% satisfaction scores this year. 22 out of 33 GP practices scored above this threshold, the best five in total scoring over 90% for satisfaction levels. Dr Peter Clegg, a partner at top-ranked Cradley Surgery, said, Myself and Dr Spruce would like to thank our patients for supporting us through the transition to the new partnership. We have worked hard to create a surgery that you are proud of and will continue to strive for that to continue into the future. The whole team, despite massive challenges and the busiest six months since records began, has pulled together to make sure the ship kept sailing. Of the top 10 GP surgeries, only one is actually within the city, and that is Spring Gardens Health Centre, Providence Street, Worcester, with 85.75%. In the bottom 10, Worcester doesn't look so favourable, with uh, the bottom five being Thornlow Lodge Surgery, Barbourne Road, Worcester, at 65.4%, Salter's Medical Practice, Ombersley Street, Droitwich, 66.87%, Farrier House, Farrier Street, Worcester, at 67.29%, Henwick Holt Medical Centre, Ingalls Drive, St John's, Worcester, 67.83%, and as previously mentioned, Morven Hill Centre, Morven Health Centre. Thank you, Richard. Tuesday, August the 1st. The headline is Arson Arrest After Flat Blaze. Woman, 51, held after severe fire breaks out early in the morning. Terrified neighbours watched as a flat became engulfed by a fire which police believe may have been started deliberately. A 51-year-old woman has been arrested on suspicion of causing arson with intent to endanger life after a severe fire broke out early yesterday. Frightened neighbours saw flames and smoke pouring out of the first-floor flat on Sheepscombe Drive in Worcester. The woman remains in police custody. Neighbours had to be evacuated from their homes after the severe fire broke out at around 4am yesterday. Firefighters were at the scene for two hours to put out the blaze with a hose reel jet. Nobody was injured, but residents were woken up by smoke, flames and sirens from fire engines. 
one eyewitness saw flames and black smoke coming from the windows of the first floor flat. She said, It was really scary and frightening. I saw the residents being evacuated. Another Sheepscombe Drive resident, who did not want to be named, said, I ran out to the fire engine at 4am. Flashing lights were coming into our bedroom and it woke us up. The fire engines didn't have the sirens on, but they had blue lights. I didn't see any flames, but a lot of smoke was coming out of the room. I was concerned for the people who lived there. It's such a shame. There was a lot of smoke coming out. A police car came round breakfast time. The resident said a police van turned up not long afterwards. Someone from social housing also came to take photographs of the flat. West Mercia police said officers were called to the scene at around 5.15am. A spokesperson said the fire, which was contained within the property, was extinguished by the fire service. No one was injured and it's believed the fire was started deliberately. A 51-year-old woman has been arrested on suspicion of causing arson with intent to endanger life and remains in police custody. A spokesperson for Hereford and Worcester Fire and Rescue said two Worcester fire station crews attended Sheepscombe Drive where there was a severe fire in the bedroom of a first-floor flat. All people were accounted for. Two firefighters wearing breathing apparatus tackled the flames with one hose reel jet. They cut away and dampened down the area to distinguish the fire fully before leaving the incident at 6.23am. The headline for Wednesday, August the 2nd, Youth Gangs Still Causing Terror. And there's a photograph of the hotspot, the entrance to Gorse Hill and Elbury Mount Nature Reserve from Kenwood Drive, where neighbours have complained gangs of youths are throwing stones at their houses. The story continues inside the paper. We're terrorised by young gangs. Residents say they are still being terrorised by drug dealing and gangs of youth throwing stones at their homes from a nearby city nature reserve. Gorse Hill and Elbury Mount Nature Reserve in Worcester continues to be a hotspot for disorder, according to residents in nearby Kenwood Drive, who are reaching the end of their tether with congregating youths, speeding cars, illegal motorbike riding and drug dealing. A drive to stamp out antisocial behaviour in the area, which contains the highest point in Worcester and offers spectacular views of the city and the Malvern Hills, led Worcester City Council to believe that antisocial behaviour had reduced in the last year. But residents have told local councillors the problems are far from over. Gorse Hill councillor Mohammed Altaf said the trouble had not stopped and continued his call for CCTV cameras to be installed, which he believes would help catch drug dealers and bring an end to the nightmare for neighbours. The issue is that we have a lot of alleyways between Kenwood Avenue and there are a lot of residents complaining that at night there is a lot of drug dealing going on in those alleys. He, he said this at the community's committee meeting. 
If we can put gates in those alleys at certain times, especially at night when there is a lot of drug dealing and the motorbikes are going up and down Kenwood Avenue. After Councillor Altaf's point was raised, the council said it was not aware of any further antisocial behaviour since first speaking to residents in September last year. It has not received any more complaints from either the residents or reports from police, but admitted that it was usually seasonal and could return again during the summer school holidays. Councillor James Stanley, who also represents Gorse Hill, said the problems were on-off throughout the year and tended to become worse during school holidays and lighter nights. CCTV is something that we would really like to get installed permanently, he said, but it's very difficult to do because of significant demand elsewhere. I think with the measures that we are hopefully going to get, and also the stuff that is taking place at the moment, we'll see a real significant improvement up there, he said. The council spoke to nearly 50 residents living around the nature reserve last year, with many with many asking for the return of CCTV that was installed temporarily two years ago. Seven Trent Water did install barriers to prevent people from riding motorbikes on the nature reserve, but they can still be bypassed with a little bit of effort. The council also said that some maintenance repairs, if carried out, would change the feel of the area for visitors. The council set aside an indicative £50,000 to tackle the antisocial behaviour problem in last year's budget and is still working with Seven Trent Water, which owns an underground reservoir on the site, and Worcestershire County Council to tidy up the green space. Okay, so today's headline, Firm slapped with fine as machine paralyses worker. A manufacturing company has been fined after work became entangled in a machine and has been left paralysed from the chest down. The man from Worcester had been working for Mountfield CNC Limited at the firm site at Berry Hill Industrial Estate in Droitwich when the incident took place on January the 4th last year. He had been setting up a CNC machine when he became entangled with the machine's rotating saw. This led to the 65-year-old man suffering a fractured neck, resulting in him becoming paralysed from the chest down. A health and safety executive investigation into the incident found Mountfield CNC Limited failed to take effective measures to prevent access to dangerous parts of the CNC machine. The machine was fitted with interlocked guards, but the interlocks had been overridden before the incident, allowing the machine to move without guards in place. The company should have identified the need for effective interlocking guards and monitored safeguards to ensure they had not been tampered with. Mountfield CNC Limited of Unit 2 W Stone Berry Hill Industrial Estate Droitwich pleaded guilty to breaching Section 2.1 of the Health and Safety Act at work. The company was fined £18,000 and ordered to pay costs of £3,094 at Kidderminster Magistrates Court on July 27th this year. The Health and Safety Executive Inspector Harry Shaw said, This life-changing injury was easily preventable and the risks should have been identified. Employers should make sure they properly assess and apply effective control measures to minimise the risk from dangerous parts of machinery. 
This HSE prosecution was supported by HSE enforcement lawyer Nathan Cook. The Health and Safety Executive is Britain's national regulator for workplace health and safety. Their aim is to prevent work-related death, injury and ill health through regulatory actions that range from influencing behaviours across whole industry sectors through to targeted interventions on individual businesses. These activities are supported by globally recognised scientific expertise. Mountfield CNC Limited has been approached for a comment. Well, now it's time for a sports article. And I'm going to ask Richard to read, I believe, a cricket article. Worcestershire triumphed over Gloucestershire in a tense match, but came away with the win with overs to spare as they climbed into a promotion spot. The win means Worcestershire have climbed into the second promotion spot after clinching a fourth LV Insurance County Championship win of the season with a 110-run success over Gloucestershire at Cheltenham College. Matthew Waite excelled with the quickest ever half-century by a Worcestershire player in terms of balls faced, just 22, and the team dug deep for the win. Then they bowled out the home side on the final day for 311 after tea, with victory moving Worcestershire 14 points clear of third-place Glamorgan, heading into the three remaining fixtures in September. They sealed back-to-back championship wins for the first time since the beginning of the 2019 season, when they triumphed over Leicestershire and Durham. Captain Brett D'Oliveira declared at the overnight total of 316 for 8 and set a target of 422. Adam Finch with 4 for 80 and Dylan Pennington 4 for 57 picked up their wickets but Joe Leach's contribution of 2 for 57 was also a significant factor with two key scalps. And this is alongside... A lovely photograph of three of our brave lads celebrating after having taken a wicket. Thank you, Richard. Well, now we have three readers' published letters, so I'm going to ask the team to read one each, starting with Penny. This is a letter from Julie Reynolds of St John's Worcester, and the heading is Net Zero. Dear Editor... I'm honestly not sure if I am missing something, but while the people of the UK are worrying about turning off their boilers in an attempt to cut their astronomical fuel bills, British Gas have declared a 900% profit. There is even talk of power rationing during the coming winter. Both of this country's major political parties are advocating net zero by 2030. This is, without doubt, an utterly ridiculous business model for our country. It is impossible for a practical point of view, from a practical point of view, for numerous reasons. We still rely on gas-fired electricity for 40% of our power, including as backup to the solar and wind energy which we, you are paying for on your bill as a green tax. What do you think happens on a cold, dank day in November when there is no wind and no sun? We need to sort out our nuclear power plants, which currently only supply 11% of our energy. 
These cannot be quickly ramped up to cover any shortfall. We also need more storage for gas. What happened to all the old gas holders? Remember the one in Worcester? It is also unworkable from a financial point of view. Normal people will simply not be able to afford to convert to electric cars and remove their gas boilers which they use to heat their homes. The relentless charge towards net zero is preposterous when you bear in mind that China, who we rely on to supply our solar panels and wind turbines, among many other commodities, are opening new coal-powered fuel stations regularly and emit 28% of the world's carbon emissions compared to the UK's 1%. There is no justification to continue on this path and it is time that our government and the supposed opposition party looked after the people of this country instead of trying to send us back to the dark ages. My letter is from Ben Arthur and it's titled Charity Bid to Support Families. After serving 22 years in the armed forces, I wanted to do something that would give back to the community but would be something that's close to my heart. As we know, any military personnel join and serve the country to protect and fight for humanitarian rights. With this comes an element of risk that puts their lives into danger. Unfortunately, the hard facts are not everyone returns safely from a war zone, and in turn this results in children losing a parent and families left without a source of income. Scotty's Little Soldiers is a British charity supporting children whose parents have died while serving in the armed forces. It was founded in 2010 by Mrs Nikki Scott after her husband, Corporal Lee Scotty Scott, was killed in 2009 while on active service in Afghanistan. The charity provides three programmes of support. Smiles offers outings and gifts. Support helps with counselling and family support. And Strides offers grants and assistance for education and personal development. The charity relies heavily on donations and people raising awareness of their work and the benefits they have with families at such a heartbreaking time. My employer, BMS, and I are doing the Cornish Coastal Challenge. This involves 24 miles on foot across the challenging coastal terrain. We aim to complete this in two days and raise as much as we can. We are looking for any support, no matter how small, to help raise our target of £5,400. Any help will be appreciated and be gratefully received. If you would like to support, please go to the Just Giving page, which is www.justgiving.com forward slash BMS hyphen bulk meter services. And a letter from Sheila Garner. Dear Editor, the largest tree in Worcester has now been reduced to a stump. The tree experts state that a tree should be pollarded gradually. If this isn't done properly, it can lead to death. The City Council mantra is, if anything is any good, close it, knock it down, spoil it, but under no circumstances, keep it. Remember the 1960s? We can't bring it back. Let's hope this wonderful tree doesn't die. So now the general articles from this week's papers. 
I'll go first with an article from today, Thursday. Drunk dad strangled ex. A drunk dad put his ex-partner in considerable distress and fear when he dragged her out of bed and strangled her in her own home. Leonard Hodgkins of Kingston Close Malvern was jailed for 18 months at Gloucester Crown Court on Monday. The 47-year-old Malvern man strangled his terrified ex and got jail time after he admitted the attack at her home in Cheltenham on November the 6th last year. Judge Ian Laurie, KC, told him, You indulged in violence against your former partner, which caused her considerable distress and fear, and it took place in her own home. I'm not quite sure why events in your life sometimes dictate that you indulge in violence against women. Yeon Callahan, prosecuting, said that Hodgkins and the woman broke up last year, but on November the 5th she allowed him to stay the night and sleep on the sofa. At between 3 to 4 a.m., she was woken by the defendant barging into the bedroom and being abusive towards her, said the prosecutor. He pulled her out of bed, pinned her against the wall, putting his hands on her face and strangling her. She managed to struggle free and she was eventually able to get him out of the bedroom. She then asked a neighbour to call the police. The defendant was arrested thereafter. He initially denied he had strangled her. Mr Callaghan told the court Hodgkins, a father of five, had 21 previous criminal convictions covering 34 offences, mostly for dishonesty. But there was one for injuring a former partner. The victim of the latest offence had declined to make a victim impact statement and was not seeking a restraining order, added the prosecutor. Morgan Pirone, defending, said Hodgkins had spent the last nine months in custody on remand since the offence and had enrolled on a Building Better Relationships course just two days after his detention. He is a man with some awareness of his problem and he is willing to tackle it in the future, said Mr Pirone. He has an unfortunate antecedent history because of his past offences of a domestic nature, but they are relatively limited, and one is nearly two decades old and was an offence committed in drink. The later one was a push, which resulted in an injury. He does not have a particular propensity for violence in his relationships. He has not committed any breaches of restraining orders or family court orders. Judge Laurie said he considered two years was the right prison sentence for Hodgkins' offence, but he was able to reduce that to 18 months to reflect the defendant's late guilty plea. On a lighter note... Friday, July the 28th, has a headline asking, Do you remember these? If you were a schoolchild in the 1980s, your lunchbox was immediately made better if you found one of these snacks inside. 
The 1980s was a decade known for its many contributions to pop culture, including fashion, music and technology, as well as the food. Do you remember eating any of the delights below? These are also pictured. These snacks are currently part of the I Grew Up in the 80s exhibition at Worcester City Art Gallery and Museum and are bound to bring back a lot of memories. Opal Fruits. These classic sweets can still be found on shelves to this day, but under the name of Starburst. Although these sweets are originally from the UK, in 1998 the name changed to match what they were called in the USA. Club. Club biscuits can also be found on the shelves today in a variety of different flavours from McVitie's. The Jacobs brand classic had several memorable advertisements, with one of the most memorable slogans being, if you like a lot of chocolate on your biscuit, join our club. Marathon, another classic chocolate bar, is Marathon, which can also still be found on shelves across the country under the name Snickers. The product was originally called Snickers in the USA, but was marketed under the name Marathon in the UK before changing in 1990. Trio. No school lunchbox was complete without a trio bar. The chocolate bar has a biscuit base topped with toffee cream and milk chocolate. It was discontinued in 2003, but returned thanks to a Facebook, cam- a Facebook campaign. Breakaway. Breakaways are a Nestle-branded chocolate that can still be found on UK shelves today. They were originally manufactured by Roundtrees and first came to the UK in 1970. Texan. This chocolate classic was manufactured in the 1970s and 1980s, but also left shelves in the 1990s. Sorry, in the 1980s. It was briefly relaunched as a limited edition product by Nestle in 2005. Sweet cigarettes from Barrett. Although you can still find this product in the UK, Barrett no longer calls them sweet cigarettes. Instead, you can find them under the name candy sticks. Collector and cultural commentator Mac. Matt Fox has devoted his time to exploring a 1980s childhood through the iconic objects of a, of a decade in which so much changed. The exhibition at the Art Gallery Museum will run until Saturday, September the 9th. May I just add the, to the reference to sweet cigarettes that when I was a child, my dentist used to give one to each child that visited. Uh, my father reckoned it was drumming up custom. <laughs> Moira. OK, Scala plan to go forwards. Councillors have voted to continue with the landmark project to build a new theatre in the city centre after the plans were left in tatters by rising costs. Worcester City Council revealed it has been forced into pulling the plug on plans to turn the listed Scala Theatre in Angel Place in Worcester into a 500-seat venue after seeing the gap in the budget rocket to £3.5 million since the start of the year, blaming rising costs for the spiralling bill. The council will now be pushing ahead on redesigning a smaller 300-seat venue after receiving the backing of councillors. 
Green councillor Tom Piotrowski said all he could see was a catalogue of mishaps and perhaps incompetence. How on earth we got to this point, spending £4 million of public money without conducting independent and thorough consultation with the local art scene is beyond belief, he said. He said he needed to be convinced to trust any future plans because the old ones had been embarrassing. The project, which was being funded by nearly £18 million in government future high street fund money, has been drastically reduced ever since the money was awarded in 2020. The City Council's Labour leader, Councillor Lynn Denham, had called for an investigation into the fiasco. The Council's joint leader said it was a huge shock to find out the budget gap and faced many sleepless nights over what could be done to salvage it. I don't think we want to give up on this, but I think it's finding the right thing and the right way forward, she said, at the Policy and Resources Committee meeting in the Guild Hall on Tuesday, July the 25th. Councillor Denham said, a wonderful thing could still be created in both the listed Scala and Corn Exchange buildings. The Council's Managing Director, David Blake, said the project had always received support from key stakeholders and it was unfair to say the Council had not spoken to the city arts organisations. Mr Blake said there had been radio silence and no correspondence while early designs for the theatre were being put together and that was probably a mistake. One stipulation the government gave when awarding the future High Street's fund money to the city was that it would be have to be spent by March 2024. And the council's managing director is praying for ministers to extend the deadline, admitting at least a minimum of six months extra was needed. The clock was ticking very fast a few months ago and it seems to be accelerating every day at the moment, he said. Underneath a photograph of the very Reverend Peter Atkinson, Dean of Worcester, with the background of the nave of Worcester Cathedral, is is Dean's diary. Uh, Dean Peter is due to retire later this year. And the headline is Joy and Laughter for My Last Column. One of the first columns I wrote for the Worcester News after I became Dean 16 years ago was about St Richard. Richard was born in Droitwich and went to be, uh, on to be Bishop of Chichester. I had just arrived from Chichester to live in Richard's home county of Worcestershire. And I knew that the name of St Richard was well known in Worcester on account of our wonderful hospice. In that first column, I wrote about St Richard's reputation for laughter. People said that the R in his name stood for Redens, uh, bracket laughing. Oddly, that was quite controversial. Some people at the time argued that we are never told that Jesus laughed. Therefore, Jesus never laughed, and nor should we. But Richard was on the side of laughter. His was not the insensitive laughter that hurts and demeans people, because we know that Richard was a generous and compassionate man. Laughter can exist with compassion and can exist even in the middle of grief and pain. That is why St Richard is such a good patron for a place of healing and compassion like the hospice. Even today, 
Some people think that religion and laughter are incompatible. Someone recently wrote to me complaining that in my sermons I tell entertaining stories. I plead guilty to the charge. St. Richard, St. Francis and all the laughing saints did the same. So did Worcester's own Geoffrey Studdard Kennedy, better known as Woodbine Willie, the best-loved chaplain on the Western Front in the First World War, whom I have often mentioned in these columns. They all followed the example of the master teller of entertaining stories, Jesus Christ. So I sign off my final Worcester news column with the same message with which I began. Let there be more laughter in our religion. For in laughter we all draw near to the heart of God, who is the source of our life, our hope and our joy. Thank you, Richard. My article is from last Saturday, July the 29th, and the heading is, in inverted commas, home to be demolished. A man has been ordered to demolish the home he built in his back garden without planning permission after failing to convince the council it was a caravan. Worcester City Council ruled an application by Dr Hayada Ghazi Al-Watar for a caravan that was built in the back garden of his home in Rendell Drive, Worcester, was unlawful and ordered him to demolish it. However, Dr Al-Watar has now looked to the government's planning inspectors, which have the power to overrule the council in a bid to get the decision overturned. If the inspectors side with Mr Alwatar, I think that should be doctor, then it could mean the controversial back garden home could stay. Several neighbours in Rendell Drive had complained the steel structure was not a caravan because it had been built in the garden from scratch and the council's planners were also not convinced it met the legal definition for a caravan. One objector said... The request states a mobile home or caravan, which implies it is able to be moved. However, the residents have built a permanent structure in their garden. Not only does it block other gardens, sunlight and privacy, it is unsightly and does not fit in with the aesthetic of the new build estate. Dr Al-Watar asked for retrospective permission for the mobile home oblique caravan, which included a kitchen, shower and toilet earlier this year. But the rejection by planners at Worcester City Council means that Mr or Dr Al-Watar would be faced with having to demolish the home which he claimed was being used by a member of his family. Worcester City Council then issued Mr Alwatar with a notice ordering him to demolish the structure, which he has now appealed. The application had argued that the steel structure, which has its own skirting and steps, could be moved and was always be ancillary to the main house and therefore was a caravan. The council's planners were still unconvinced and ruled that it could not be classed as a caravan because it could not even be proven the structure was able to be moved or towed. 
neighbours had provided photos to the council which showed the structure being constructed piece by piece in the back garden, which they argued was proof it could never be described as a caravan. The next article is from Monday, July the 31st edition. Thousands with long Covid. Tens of thousands of people in Hereford and Worcestershire could be suffering from long Covid, new estimates suggest. The Long Covid SOS charity said more public awareness and research is needed to support those with the debilitating condition. The NHS GP patient survey found 4.9% of 9,470 respondents in Herefordshire and Worcestershire said they were still experiencing symptoms more than 12 weeks after first having COVID-19, up from 4.1% reported in 2022. The survey asked people about their experiences with their local GP surgery from January to April in 2023. Using the most recent data for the number of people registered with a GP in Herefordshire and Worcestershire Integrated Care System area, it could mean that about 34,000 people aged 16 and older in the area were struggling with lingering health problems from the disease. However, People who responded to the survey are likely more aware of their health problems, so estimates may be high. Ondine Sherwood, co-founder of the Long Covid SOS, a charity set up to support people with the condition, said the proportion of people experiencing Long Covid symptoms is very concerning. She said... It's difficult to assess why this survey has captured so many more people who have long COVID. But it has long been clear to us that there are many who may not have regained their previous levels of health after COVID, but haven't yet made a connection between the two. She added the longer term impact of COVID can be masked, particularly in older people and those with chronic conditions. Across England, the percentage of patients saying they had long COVID symptoms increased from 4.4% in 2022 to 5% this year. Ms Sherwood said there needs to be more public awareness about long COVID. The contribution it is making to the workforce crisis and healthcare burden on the NHS should not be underestimated. Many people now debilitated by long COVID were previously fit and healthy, she said. We need to get them well again so that they can return to making their contribution to society and to the economy. This means targeted research into treatments and best practice and universal access to evidence-based rehabilitation. A Department for Health and Social Care spokesperson said... Long Covid can have a debilitating impact and we are backing our world-leading scientists with over £50 million to better understand the long-term effects of this virus and make treatments available. We urge anyone who is concerned about long-lasting symptoms to get in touch with their GP or visit the NHS Your Covid Recovery website for further advice on the support available. The first stage of one of the city's biggest regeneration projects is nearing completion, 
with the first flat set to be made available soon. More than 200 apartments have nearly been built as part of the £150 million Sheriff's Gate project in Worcester Shrub Hill as the first part of the huge regeneration scheme. The two buildings, John Gregory Court and Wilson Roberts Court off Sheriff Street, have nearly been built with the first buyers able to secure a flat soon. The work also includes plans for hundreds more apartments, a hotel, a gym, a multi-storey car park, bars and restaurants, a cinema and a bowling alley. New bird's eye images show how the new buildings next to Worcester Shrub Hill Railway Station have taken shape in recent months, with the seven-storey apartment blocks now fully in place. Marking the milestone, Stenard Harrison, Managing Director at Sheriff's Gate Development, said... The whole project will greatly enhance the appeal of the Shrub Hill area, creating a vibrant hub for residents and visitors alike, providing them with a modern and convenient living experience. When complete, the revival of Worcester Shrub Hill will serve as a catalyst for positive change. The whole project addresses the need for housing in Worcester, and this phase of the scheme presents the chance for Worcester people to embark on the path of home ownership. Eddie Campion from the Elliott Group, which will eventually have built 650 apartments on the site, said, With phase one of the Worcester Regeneration Project nearing its final stages, we've had numerous milestones to commemorate in recent months. The comprehensive transformation is nearly finished with the implementation of facade treatments. We would like to express our gratitude to the outstanding on-site team, as well as our dedicated supply chain, design team funders and stakeholders for their unwavering commitment. Work finally began on the huge regeneration in Shrub Hill last summer, after years of delays and more than a decade after the project was first mooted. Sheriff's Gate Development said deposits for the first apartments will be offered at £1,000. On Thursday, August the 3rd, we find a headline which says Councils Backed in Homes Funds Row, with a photograph of Worcester Royal Hospital. A judge has dismissed a challenge by the county's NHS Trust over a refusal to ask developers for millions of pounds for hospitals in exchange for building 2,200 new homes. Worcestershire Acute Hospitals NHS Trust has lost its case against Worcester City Council, Witchaver District Council and Morven Hills District Council over claims the three councils had acted unlawfully when rejecting its request for £1.84 million from developers when approving a huge urban extension in 2021. The Trust which runs Worcestershire Royal Hospital in Worcester, had taken the three councils to the High Court on grounds, on five grounds. But the Honourable Mr Justice Holgate threw out the appeal saying the decision by planners were neither unlawful nor invalid. Council planners maintained throughout the row that the Hospital Trust had left the request for funding contributions too late and allowing the extra money to be paid to the hospital would mean existing agreements would have to be renegotiated. In his judgment, 
The judge said that the county's hospital trust did not speak to the council about the request for millions of pounds in crucial funding when a decision was first made by planners about the 2,200 new homes in 2018 and had not challenged decisions on three other sites between 2019 and 2020 when there had also not been a request for funds from the NHS. For a public body wishing to obtain a Section 106 contribution, that is most unusual and contrasts with the approach taken in this case by other public bodies, he said. Mr Justice Holgate said the Hospital Trust had shown no interest at all in the urban extension for the 42 months between January 2019 and October 2021, and the NHS Trust had no evidence explaining the long periods of disinterest and delay. The last gap between October 2021 and October 22 is particularly striking, the judge said. The Trust had referred to viability issues for the first time and had an opportunity to take the matter further if it thought that worthwhile. It did nothing. Planning applications, particularly large-scale plans, are usually approved in principle before planners and developers work out funding agreements, known as Section 106 money, to pay for infrastructure such as bus routes, schools, community centres and parks. NHS trusts are also entitled to make requests for funding from developers to meet the expected rise in population, and often the money goes towards new GP surgeries or health centres. After the result, Councillor David Harrison, the portfolio holder for planning at Morven Hills District Council, said, although all three councils have tremendous sympathy with the NHS for the funding pressure the service is facing, the judgment highlights the fact no party is entitled to Section 106 contributions unless they have been properly justified. Central government is responsible for funding the NHS and not the planning system. Had the claim succeeded, then it could have jeopardised other key contributions, such as the amount of affordable housing. Glenn Burley, the new Chief Executive of Worcestershire Acute Hospitals NHS Trust, said, We are aware of the judgment, and we are reviewing the detailed findings before deciding our next steps. Well, now something a little different... Um, the article is headed to dredge or not that is the question and unsurprisingly it's about the locks and particularly Diglis lock in Worcester it's part of a series of history of Worcester articles by Mike Price it's illustrated by several photographs right from mid 19th century when it was being created right through to the 1960s when we see a river dredger at North Quay. There's one photograph that really took my interest of when it was being built. There are navvies at work building Diglis Lock. No fancy tools, just wooden wheelbarrows with steel-rimmed wheels, which would have taken some pushing, I dare say. So here goes, here's the article. In ages past, when this newspaper ran a daily page, if not two, of letters to the editor, 
there were several topics guaranteed to be floor fillers. Restoring the death penalty, fox hunting, adding fluoride to the drinking water, school discipline and banning smoking were a few of the favourites, along with dredging the River Severn, about which we don't hear so much now. Every time there was a flood, someone would write in saying it was the fault of the river not being dredged regularly as used to happen in the old days. Well, we all know everything was better in the old days, don't we? (laughs) Then someone would reply saying this was nonsense. The floodgates would open, literally. (laughs) Correspondence would pour in and the letters editor was a happy bunny. What is in no doubt is the the Seven is an ever-changing beast and at one time it was perfectly possible, given the right conditions, to walk across it at Worcester Bridge. That was in the days before Diglis Lock was built and indeed the first superintendent at Diglis Dock, James Bradley, referred to river walking at the bridge in his records. This was because of the amount of silt gathering on the riverbed. The problem became more apparent in the late 1700s as the coal and iron industries in the Midlands grew and vast quantities of coal and iron goods were sent down the river on their way to all parts of the world. Increasing silt hampered navigation at Worcester, while elsewhere bars and shoals brought traffic to a standstill in dry weather as they did in May 1827, when 200 sailing vessels were held up below Upton upon Seven, and in June 1839, when 120 were grounded on numerous shoals near Worcester. So the answer was to build a series of locks, a project which remarkably took only two years. Those at Lincoln, Starport, were completed first, December 1843, Holt Fleet next in June 1844, and Beverley and Diglis were finished simultaneously in 1844. Thereafter, the locks ensured a minimum of six feet of water between Starport and Worcester, and although this was not deep by many standards, it was deep enough for the river boats to maintain their lucrative traffic. Around 1894, all the locks were deepened further, and at 36 feet, Diglis is one of the deepest in the country. Incidentally, a gentleman who used to regularly fill our letters page with his offerings was George Cowley. I interviewed George several times, says Mike Price, and he made no secret that his bouts of depression led to no less than five suicide attempts, all failures. In one, George seriously misjudged the depth of the seven when he jumped off Worcester Bridge and landed knee-deep in the silt. Unable to move, the police boat had to be launched to effect a rescue, and a genial sergeant hauled him aboard with the greeting, ''Come on, George, the good Lord doesn't want you today.'' Sadly, George died of more natural causes some years ago. A steady supply of readers' letters died with him. 
And back to the present day news. Uh, fire on historic hotel site. Yet another fire being reported. And there's pictures of the Raven Hotel in Droitwich. A fire in a building next to a derelict historic hotel is thought to have been started deliberately. Shocked residents from across Droitwich saw smoke pouring from the rear of the Raven Hotel in St Andrews Road after a fire broke out. The severe fire caused extensive damage to the first floor and roof space and spread to nearby conifer trees. Fire crews arrived just before 7pm on Monday night, July the 20, uh, 31st, to put out the fire and remained on the site until 10.15pm. Town councillor Bob Brooks said, I felt shock and horror when I heard about the fire because I thought it was the Raven Hotel, but it was actually a building towards the back of the site. I saw the building on fire with smoke coming out of it. The two-storey building, which caught on fire, is on the same site, but detached from the Raven Hotel and was previously used as a leisure centre. However, Councillor Brooks said a lot of residents in Droitwich were left feeling very concerned after hearing about the fire. I was concerned it was the Raven Hotel site because it has so much important history. But I was relieved when I realised it wasn't any of the important buildings on the site. Councillor Brooks also praised the fire crew for their prompt response. He said, The fire crew were on the scene very quickly and very efficiently. They had the situation under control. A spokesperson from Hereford and Worcester Fire and Rescue said, Two crews from Droitwich Fire Station were joined by two crews from Worcester, along with the aerial ladder platform from Worcester and the incident command unit from Wire Forest, after numerous calls about the incident. They responded to reports of smoke issuing from a two-storey derelict thatched building measuring approximately 20 metres by 15 metres, accessed off St Andrews Road behind a former hotel. It turned out to be a severe fire affecting all the first floor and roof space with flames spreading towards large conifer trees. A water relay was in use, Crews wearing breathing apparatus tackled the fire with main jets and a hose reel jet while the area ladder platform was used to check for hot spots. The fire was extinguished with, with crews cutting away and dampening down before they left at 10.14pm. A reinspection at midnight by a Droitwich crew used a thermal imaging camera and revealed no hot spots. There were no casualties and the police were informed with arson suspected as the cause of the fire. People in Worcester claiming disability benefits will be able to make an online application for the first time ever. People in Worcester, Malvern Hills and Witchhaven will be able to apply for their personal independence payment or PIP online as part of a major transformation of the service. PIP provides extra money to people with illnesses, disabilities or mental health conditions. The new online application service was offered to a small number of claimants who would have to call the phone line to begin their claim. Now people in selected postcodes will be able to apply for PIP directly on gov.uk as long as they are claiming for themselves and are not already claiming PIP or disability living allowance. 
It is not possible to claim on someone's behalf using the online service, but people will still be able to apply for PIP through existing routes, even when the online service has been rolled out. Online services include the ability to save, resume and upload medical evidence, providing a clear, joined-up experience for claimants. The Department for Work and Pensions, or DWP, has already introduced a digital version of the PIP2 Health Questionnaire, which allows people to outline how their health condition or disability affects them, which is now offered to the majority of those making a claim. This will continue to be offered to those who call DWP to begin their claim. Minister for Disabled People, Health and Work, Tom Persglove, MP, said... Our transformation of the PIP service will make the entire claimant experience better and gradually introducing the option to apply online is an important next step in this process. The option to apply for PIP online at any time is more convenient and removes the need for people to make a phone call or fill in a paper form to start their claim. This will make it easier for people to make a claim for the benefit and receive the money they are entitled to. I look forward to the service being available to all claimants by 2024. And on a very happy note, we have some pictures of the Nunnery Wood High School students surrounding an article which headlined Students' Success at Annual Awards. Nunnery Wood High School students enjoyed one of the biggest celebratory events of the year at the school's annual awards evenings. The evenings provided an opportunity to celebrate the achievements of some of the school's most dedicated and hard-working students, while music was also provided by some of the school's most talented musicians. Awards were given out for each subject through the teacher nomination for overall achievement in a subject area. There were also awards for those students who had worked consistently hard throughout the year across all their curriculum student subjects. The Adam Hussain Memorial Award, as voted for by students and staff, recognises students' contribution to the community. Following the awards, guests enjoyed a performance from Worcester City Brass while enjoying refreshments outside in the sun. Curriculum leaders in every subject were there to present the awards alongside head teacher Stephen Powell and members of the school's senior leadership team. Lawrence Rolleston, who organised the event, said, Each and every student who received an award should feel very proud of their achievement. It reflects the level of effort that they apply on a daily basis and it is a delight to publicly recognise and celebrate this. Well done to everyone who received an award. Well, my next article is about what has become a hot potato in Worcester, but also nationally. And it's about the axing of railway station ticket offices. Uh, some people have, have compared it with beaching. Uh, some people say it's worse than beaching because beaching was selective, whereas this seems to be near a blanket. Ticket office petitions signed by thousands. Thousands of people have signed a petition to save railway station ticket offices from being axed across Worcestershire. 
More than 70,000 people have signed the petition so far to save up to 1,000 UK rail ticket offices that could close due to government funding cuts. Ticket offices such as Great Malvern and Malvern Link, Worcester Shrub Hill, Evesham, Morton in Marsh, Kingham and Charlbury could all be axed as early as spring 2024. Campaigners from Cotswold Line Promotion Group, CLPG, said they heard how worried people were about the impending closures as they collected signatures in Evesham and Morton in Marsh stations last week. Many fear station toilets and waiting rooms would be closed for longer periods and unstaffed stations could become prone to vandalism and antisocial behaviour. An extra 30,000 signatures will be needed in order for the issue to be discussed in the House of Commons. A public consultation of the potential closures has been extended until Friday, September the 1st, after several people raised concerns. The 1,400-strong CLPG, which works to safeguard, promote and improve services, objected to the three-week consultation period as it was during the peak holiday month of July. The group has lodged objections to the rail watchdog body Transport Focus over the plans to close all eight ticket offices in the Cotswolds and the Malvern line between Hereford and Oxford. Worcester Fourgate Street would survive as one of six hub stations in the whole of the West Midlands. Group chairman Colin Major said... We do not see the proposals improving the passengers' experience and, sadly, the plans will deter many people from using the train, which is one of the most environmentally friendly modes of transport. Many people signed the petition, saying they were concerned about the potential loss of the first point of contact at their local station. They also argued the closures could restrict assistance for the elderly and disabled and would provide poorer access to the best fares for those unable to go online or use ticket machines. Train operators unveiled proposals in July for mass closures of station ticket offices after Transport Secretary Mark Harper urged them to cut costs. Mark Harper was mistaken. Rail Delivery Group said staff would move out of ticket offices adopting new customer help roles already in place on many parts of the rail network. At this point, I add, having had to use the rail system a lot lately, if I had not been able to ask ticket office staff, particularly when there were strikes and go-slows, I really would have been more troubled than I was many a day. An earlier article referred to the I Grew Up in the 80s exhibition, but this article talks about more summer fun at heritage venues. A jam-packed summer of fun family activities from learning to launch a trebuchet catapult to giant bubble making will be taking place in Worcester. 
Bosses at the Commandery and Worcester City Arts Gallery and Museum so that families will be able to have a great day out without breaking the bank at their sites. August at the Commandery will have different themed sessions each week for children to enjoy. Step back to medieval times and learn to launch a trebuchet catapult in the garden. Test your juggling and giant bubble making skills and discover all there is to know about magnificent mini beasts. Sessions run Tuesday to Thursday, 10.30am to 12 noon and are £5 per child. Usual admission to the commandery applies. You can get free admission to the commandery if you have a season or residence pass, but the £5 still applies for the sessions. Visit the website for more information and to book sessions at museumsworcestershire.org.uk. Round off the summer with a memorable day of games and crafts at the Alice's Adventures in Wonderland Family Day on Bank Holiday Monday, August the 28th. Head down the rabbit hole with Alice, the White Rabbit and the Queen of Hearts in Worcester's Wonderland. No booking needed. Usual admission applies and £3 for children's crafts and activities. There's always lots of holiday fun to be had in the gardens and the rest of the building too. The independent cafe, Commandery Coffee, Coffee, is always ready for visitors with drinks and homemade food with a canal side view. The summer exhibition at Worcester City Arts Gallery and Museum is in full swing. I grew up in the 80s is a fun, nostalgic treasure trove of objects from the decade. There's a dressing up box to delve into, a family trail to follow, cost a pound, and lots of games to play, including a Donkey Kong arcade machine. Bring along a 50p coin if you fancy a go. Feeling creative? 80s inspired family mornings are on the way. Decorate a pencil case, a picture frame or a canvas bag. Wednesdays the 2nd, the 16th and the 30th of August from 10.30 to 12.30pm. £4.50 charge. Limited spaces, book online at museumsworcestershire.org.uk. The Art Gallery and Museum's popular activity bags return from Saturday July 22nd. There are three exciting themes to choose from. Celebrate the fun summer show I grew up in the 80s. Make a racing car or create a puppet of Albert the Albatross. Bags of fun can be picked up from the shop for £2.50. Worcester City Art Gallery and Museum, including the exhibition I grew up in the 80s, is free to visit and is home to the brilliant cafe on the balcony where visitors can enjoy homemade food and delicious drinks. The Art Gallery and Museum is closed on Sundays and bank holidays. We're really excited to see lots of families in the museums this summer having a great day out without breaking the bank. Please visit the website for full details at www.museumsworcestershire.org.uk I'd just like to say I was very good at Donkey Kong. I'm just going to leave that there. You must have a go. Uh, a mystery person has been scattering crude devices with sharp screws hidden in dog poo bags and wet pipes on villages' roads. 
Puzzled Tibetan residents believe someone may be leaving them in an attempt to puncture car tyres. But mystery surrounds who has, been, who has made them and why they're being left along Plough Road. Seven crude devices have been found in Tibetan since May. There's also reportedly been an increase in the number of villagers experiencing punctured tyres. There was a spate of them being left on the road in May, but villagers said things went back to normal quite quickly. However, two more devices were found hidden in a dog poo bag and another in a baby wipe. Paris Parish councillor June Woodland said, If you were driving or cycling through Tibetan, you would be forgiven presuming it was just standard road litter. These devices were found on or near the canal bridge, which is a different area of deposition to the previous ones. The devices are being found along Plough Road in Tibetan from Church Lane to the bridge pub. People believe they are being intentionally left in the village to cause damage. Mrs Woodland said items that appear to have been crudely put together in an effort to puncture vehicle tyres have been found. It started just after the coronation in May. Screws are going into the tyres and are causing serious damage. The devices doing it have been manufactured. A device like that could never have been made by accident. It's a puzzle and very indiscriminate. Cyclists and horse riders use the roads a lot. Why on earth would somebody be doing such a thing? The village is often used by vehicles when there is heavy traffic on the M5 between Troitwich and Worcester. Mrs Woodland said the screws are very crudely placed and put together. Why would somebody do such a thing? Residents of Tibetan have been reporting more punctures and we don't know whether it's somebody targeting the people of Tibetan for some reason. We have so many people drive through the village. It would be interesting to see who would do such a thing. It's such a strange course of action. If you have a gripe with the village, then just say... She said the devices could do some serious damage and the issues have been reported to police. Well, now we've come to the end of this evening's recording. I do hope you've enjoyed hearing all the articles and useful information. Many thanks to the team, Penny, Moira, Richard and John, and also the admin team who work so hard in the background for us. We hope you'll tune in for next week's offering, so for now, from us all... Goodbye. Bye. And this week's obituaries include the following people. Gerald Albert Jones passed away the 9th of July 2023. His funeral service has already been held. Peter S. G. Stevens, B.A., 27th of July 1934 to the 18th of July 2023. Passed away on 18th of July, just a week or so short of his 89th birthday. A short committal service will be held at Worcester Crematorium on Monday 7th of August at 10am, followed by a Thanksgiving service at St Clement's Church, Hennick Road at 11am. Family flowers only, but donations in his name will be shared between the British Heart Foundation and St Clement's Church. David Leslie Ray of Clanes passed away peacefully at home on the 23rd of July 2023, aged 84 years. The funeral service will be at St John the Baptist Church Clanes on Tuesday the 8th of August at 1.30pm, followed by a private committal at Worcester Crematorium. Family flowers only, please. 
Janet Peplow of Barbon passed away peacefully on 10th of July 2023, aged 83 years. Funeral service at St George's C of E Church on Thursday the 10th of August at 12.30pm, followed by committal at Worcester Crematorium. Family flowers only, please, but donations if desired for St Richard's Hospice or St George with St Mary Magdalene PCC may be left on the collection plate at the church.